Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. And of course, here on the In Person with Paul show, I interview authors about their latest novels. My guest today is Cueve MacDonald, author of Love Will Tear Us Apart, and that's the third novel in the Stranger Times series. Cueve MacDonald was a stand-up for nearly two decades before turning to fiction, and it turns out he has a real talent for crime writing. And with this series, he demonstrates he's pretty damn good at fantasy crossover too. Since 2016, Cueve MacDonald has produced three novel series, set in Dublin, New York, and now Manchester. Now that stand-up quick wit obviously infuses the novels, but of course it takes a lot more than that to write enjoyable and thrilling crime fiction. And that's something we'll certainly discuss. Now one thing you may notice is that the Stranger Time series is published under the name C.K. MacDonald. So I'm going to start by asking him about that because a little birdie told me there's a story behind that. Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM, Cueve. It's delightful to be here. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Actually, should I call you CK McDonald? <laughs> Actually, for listeners, I should point out that Love Will Tear Us Apart is out now, so they can go and get it when they want to. And for the Stranger Time series, you have the pen name CK McDonald. So is it CK because the fantasy series is a new adventure for you? Uh, that is part of the reason. Uh, right. The other part of the reason is, if I'm entirely honest with you, trans worlds who are now part of Penguin, yeah, uh, we're basically collectively terrified of having to use them. <laughs> um, although I, I, I was telling the story before, but it's true. My my uh, editor, who's a lovely man, uh, an absolutely yeah. lovely man, but tremendously English, uh, like just very, very, you know. Uh, and I can remember the conversation I had with him where he was clearly building up to, could we <laughs> use a different? And myself, my agent had already decided it made sense to split them up anyway, because right. exactly yeah, what you yeah. said, which is why people. But God bless him. You can see he started this sentence. It was like, oh, my God, I'm telling an Irishman I ca- he cannot use his name in his native language. <laughs> and he was like, and uh, uh, just if maybe and maybe not, you know, we can always. And we just thought he's never getting to the end of this sentence unless we put the poor man out of his misery and tell him we've already agreed we're going to do it. Um, so, yeah, it makes it makes sense. Uh, it's always a bit odd if someone calls me CK. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we generally use Queef. My dad, bless him, God rest his soul. Uh, he got quite annoyed with CK as my moniker. Because Queeve is short for Queeveen, which is the original right. of Kevin. So yeah. it should have, I think I had C slash K on the front of the thing with my agent. But Ed, my agent, just said CK, I thought that's got a good ring to it. Um, but my dad, bless him, got quite annoyed because he went, that isn't your initials in any language. I'm fine with you using either <laughs> name, but that is not your initials. Your second name is not Kevin. It's your first. So, yeah, uh, bless. He got, it was one of these things where it was weird where he's like a little bit annoyed and we couldn't figure out why until he eventually told us that was the reason. <laughs> anyway, it's sorted out. It's CK on the book. Yeah. Weave, that's your name. Um, I mean, it's slightly off the point just for a moment, just because where we are in time. You haven't got your Irish jersey on at the moment, or I can't see it anyway. And I know this is an audio podcast, but uh, the big game tomorrow, Ireland, oh, France. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, yeah, the title, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a big rugby head. I used to be the announcer for London Irish, the rugby yeah, team for right. season. So, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very much, it's uh, my whole week is because I've been literally down in London running around. It's been all crazy. And the whole week's been blocked out. But Saturday is, that's when Ireland versus France is yeah, on. right. Um, so, yeah, no, that's that's a, a very much a big deal for me. And, um yeah, I mean, you know, we, we have a shot at it. We've got quite a few injuries. Uh, but, um, 
it's weird because you know all well, this stuff we're number one in the world and all that sort of thing. Mm. People get too excited about things because people seem to they just judge one game as too small of a sample size. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is the point because I've been around professional rugby a lot, and you sort of see how players and coaches think. That's why coaches are always trying to say it's performance and not the mm. result because they need. To, but yeah, it's one of these things where. People just overreact to everything. Like, if we lose tomorrow, we're not a bad team. And if we win, we're not all of a sudden, you know, going to automatically win a World Cup and stuff like that. It's the joy of sport. Things can change fast. It is. You just have, you just have to enjoy the moment. Yeah, you do. Well, I'll be enjoying the moment tomorrow as well. Um, you've worked in TV. I'm going back to the topic now, I suppose, basically. <laughs> you worked in TV and you did stand-up for, for over a decade, I think. Uh, oh, a long time. Yeah, about 19 years, in fact. 19 years. All right. Okay, yeah. 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 So, um, and... Just to concentrate on the fiction and the novels, uh, mm-hmm. which I, is it 16 novels now? I always, I always have to do this count up in my head. Uh, seven plus three plus two plus 50. I think it's, uh, I think it's 15. 15. Although okay. that, that the, oh no, maybe it's 16. Yeah, not 16. So, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of novels. Yeah. Um, and of course, we, we've got the Dublin trilogy and the McGarry State side and the Stranger Times. Mm-hmm. And it, it all since 2016. Since so, the first one came out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here's my point. Um, you said you get inspiration in the shower. <laughs> I mean, you you must be the cleanest man in Manchester. Well, thanks very much. I mean, <laughs> let, let's let, let's not make that a dig at Manchester first off. But yeah, no, um, I've um, no, yeah. It's funnily enough, I was yeah. It's it is. Uh, it's not so much I get inspiration. I've, I've probably explained that wrong. Is what happens is. I have a tendency to think about stuff when I'm going to sleep at night and basically my my subconscious seems to figure it out. And then it's almost like my subconscious when I'm standing in the shower in the morning, it just reports things back Ah, to me. Ah, right. I've explained this before on writing podcasts and got people getting quite annoyed. (laughs) That sounds too easy. Um, But I mean, that's just my my brain just sort of works that way. You must have a very feckin' imagination. I mean, the thing is, like I said, since 2016, all these novels, ideas, they must just come to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, if you ask any novelist, it's got the classic thing when people come to you, I've got an idea for a novel. I also go, let me stop you there. I've got 57 yeah. ideas for a novel just <laughs> in my phone. We all have ideas for a novel, mate. Having an idea for a novel does not make anybody special. <laughs> what makes you special is sitting down writing it. Actually but, doing um, the work. Yeah, yeah actually, you know, that's the thing. It's the sitting down and doing it. But yeah, I mean, I think every novelist I know has loads of ideas. Um, I'm... I'm reasonably productive i guess in in the way i do things I've, I've sort of managed to but i have that where where i've been asked before about you've written you know i've had four novels in a year a couple of mm. years maybe that come out and then it varies year to year depending on what's happened with everything else um but generally i wrote an extra novel because of lockdown when i was supposed to go on the holidays and we had right, yeah, yeah. to go so um it's just honestly i get bored um i've i've i think i have a work, work ethic i have very few hobbies and um, I just get, I just, I enjoy sitting in my office and writing. And I'm very lucky that I'm doing something that I enjoy where, you yeah. know, this, same as every job, there's admin, there's stuff you're dealing with, lots of different things is, you know, there's all these things, but actually sitting down and writing is something I genuinely enjoy. And I always, I feel bad where I know some really good writers and I'm thinking of a couple in my head, which I, but, but I've seen them in interviews and stuff talking about, it's, mm. oh, it's so painful. And the process is so painful. And I'm like, Oh, I feel really bad because I enjoy the process because <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. I think the way I write almost, I'm generally enjoying the process. And I think I kind of have to, because if yeah. you're writing something that's fun and is, is moves around fast and stuff, I think you have to be to on a certain level enjoy it. And that's not saying my, my novels are there, you know, there's very serious things that happen in lots of the mm-hmm. different novels. Um, 
but I think generally my mood when I'm writing them is, is generally pretty positive and stuff because I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the process. And I think that comes across, hopefully. No, it does come across. And that's important for a reader because that's what keeps, you know, that's what a proper page turner is. When yeah. as a reader, you're getting that. And I think you get some of that sense of the author's excitement as well. And the author's almost surprised at writing these things, you know, and the energy that goes into that. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that energy. I think there's like, oh, right, novelists like Chris Brookmeyer has always had it. He's a big favourite of mine. Yeah, right. Ratchet is a massive, my all-time hero sort of thing that has that kind of, that energy to it. I mean, I honestly, um, I kind of almost consider myself a storyteller more than a novelist and stuff in the sense that, I'm not sitting down trying to write you this incredible description of what any building looks like where I'm literally, and don't get me wrong, there are authors that can do this and they yeah, do yeah, it yeah. magnificently. Where they, where come, like Ben Aranovich is a good example. I was, we were saying, did the event during the week and mm. and he's a writer because he, he has such great knowledge of the sort of architecture and all these things about London that they're, they're, they're invested in the book and it really gives it life. Um, I'm, it's just the way I am. I'm not, overly um maybe focused on buildings and things like that i'm mm. also like in my books uh as my wife pointed out at one point he said you know you hardly ever describe what people are wearing right um and we talk about it but i sort of made the point but the reason you're doing that is is frankly you don't really care most of the time what people yeah. are wearing i'm yeah. a bloke who sits in my garden shed with my, my garden office with my two dogs uh wearing shorts and a, and a hoodie 11 months of the year i'm just not the clothes horse type of guy so i don't spend a lot of time explaining what people are wearing because it's not something that interests me i'd rather uh engage with characters in a different way um and engage with the environment in a different way mm. so i think and i think Early on when I started writing, I was worried almost that I didn't do that. And one of the best things I found out about writing is what's more important is that you stay true to your voice rather than to do what yeah, you right. think you should be doing. Yeah, Because I think there's, there's certain people when they're writing, um, you know, newer novelists and stuff, you can see them at times almost trying too hard to write this epic sentence that gets mm. across something and i think you just have to have faith in your ability and go with the flow of it and you can always go back and rewrite things but you you know there's nothing worse than someone trying too hard to impress you because i think that comes across in the writing yeah no, i agree with you entirely because i think you can tell a natural voice and you can get a sense it's what we talked before about it we'll go into it in a little bit of detail but when mm. you were saying about the certain things that carry over from a totally different set of novels the earlier stuff you were writing but it's still there in this stuff, you know, and it's stuff that carries over because that's your voice carrying over with it. Yeah. And I think there's, there's again, there's, there's lots of people you can point to who have written in different genres and stuff, but there is, they do keep that general mm. element to them. Um, and I think it's just natural. It's like, I couldn't, I don't think I could take it out. I mean, I have been, mm. I've never done this and I'm not a big fan of the process, but as we all know, there are ghost writers and stuff. And I once got approached to do it, which I wouldn't do. Right. Um, but they also, the idea was like, I don't, cause I'd have to suppress how I write. And that's, mm. I think if when I was saying about always enjoying the process, I think if I was going in and trying to pretend to be somebody else or trying to do yeah. a more standard thing, I think I would end up hating it because I wouldn't be enjoying myself because I wouldn't be expressing myself. I agree with you. I, I, I'm not knocking it because, I mean, people make a living out of writing, ghostwriting yeah. and things like that. But I can understand how that's a totally different thing from your point of view. One of the things you pointed out there was that writing is a fairly solitary thing. Eleven <laughs> months in your own shed in a year, you know. But, um, I mean, you got out last night. You had the launch and that was the yes. night of the publication. And a couple of days earlier, as you mentioned just now, you, you were in a meeting with, uh, not a meeting, you had a public uh, event, event with Ben Aranovich. I mean, was it, is it nice meeting fans and actually getting some reaction back, you know? 
Oh, it is. It's genuinely, it's lovely. It's been, um, it's been really great over the last week where we've just been doing all these events, and it was kind of going around shops in London just because I was there. Because um, I actually, you know, I, I got asked this because I basically I went down to London on Monday of this week, um, right. and I ended up going around twelve different shops. Um, and someone said, "Wow, your publisher set you around twelve different shops." I went, "No, no, my, my no. publisher said, said oh, because I was." He said, oh, would you do three in the centre of, of, of London? And I went, no, no, I'm in London. I, I got a map out myself. Making the most of it, yeah. Yeah, and I figured out which shops had most of the books. I went round and thought, I'm going to do all these things. And I, I literally, in the space of 48 hours in London, I walked a marathon. We figured out from my right. watch. And I was sort of going, what, like, it's weird because someone said, like, oh, why, why are you doing that if no one told you to do it? And at the same time, someone else commented on a Facebook picture and said, oh, I can remember when your first book came out. I said about London Irish with the rugby, funny enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know, one of the first things I did was I had, had a box of books that I was selling at London Irish games because right. I was the MC and bless them all the London Irish fans. And someone said, oh, it was a hard sell. I said, no, we did queue around this entire large function room the first time we did it because bless them, London Irish fans knew me as their MC. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they obviously liked me and they just wanted to support me. So they queued up. But he's like, remember someone said, I, I remember when you were selling your books out of a box. And I was like, well, that's that's why I went around all those bookshops because I remember when I, I started off like that. And it's it's one of these things I've learned because I said I was a stand-up comedian. So you give him back a bit. Yeah, I've given back a bit, but also, um, you know, I remember what it was like. I appreciate stuff being mm. in shops. I, I appreciate walking into Waterstones and there's a big pile of my book on the table. And if at any point in my life I start, I, start, I don't appreciate that, then I should probably stop being. Yeah, a you know, because, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, seeing your work get out there is fantastic. And I appreciate, you know, I genuinely, that's why it's great meeting the fans and stuff, because these are people who enjoy your work and it's lovely to meet them. And I want, you know, you want genuinely want to say thanks to them because I'm very blessed when I'm doing this full time now for several years and it's a wonderful way of making a living. Um, and I genuinely, I think, you know, there's, there's a joy in that, but also, you know, the fact I have a work ethic and I enjoy doing these things. And I'm my first book for Trans World, which was the, the first Stranger Times book, yeah. came out in the middle of lockdown. So we couldn't do yeah, anything, yeah, right. which was rotten timing, frankly. Um, and it's possible, you know, the series is going well now, but it probably it didn't start off as well as mm. it would have done normally because we just weren't able to do these things. Um, so I, you know, I loved it. I appreciate it all the more doing these things now. And it's great. And, you know, plus like as well as doing that, I was on stage with in London with Ben Aranovich, who's an all time hero of mine and Mark Stay, who's a very good writer and a good friend of mine. So yeah, chatting to the two of them was a delight. Last night we did it with a guy called Phil Mealy who a lot of people will know, he he wrote uh, Early Doors with Craig Cash and was in yes, it. He was right, also yeah. a, wrote the Royal Family with Carol. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. There's a big, we were talking about it last night. It's finally back on the BBC on the iPlayer yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, and especially in Manchester and around the North. I mean, there's a lot, and generally a lot of other comedy fans around the country, huge fans of it. And the BBC just did two series and have never really, like it wasn't even yeah, available yeah. to watch for the last 10 years somewhere. Um, and there's been there's been quite a few articles and stuff in the paper, but people are really going, why is there not more of this? And the BBC are like, why why have you not done any more with this? Um, and people are asking questions about, it, which is great. But and Phil's a good mate of mine. We we worked on a musical together that he's now developing, right. um, based around making a murderer. Um, and we've done other stuff. He was like a you know various different things. So it's great. I great to have a chat with friend with a mate of mine, and frankly with live events like that. Um, if I'm entirely honest, I've now done a few and I think the formula is it's great if you can chat to someone, enjoy yourself and just have a chat because people don't come to hear a serious breakdown of a book in detail. I, I agree. Because they can read, yeah, yeah do you know what I mean? They can read the book themselves. I think yeah. what you want in that situation is you want a bit of perspective. You want to get asked questions, maybe find out some different stuff and frankly, have a laugh. We're all yeah. a bit of entertainment. And the great thing about the events this week is they were a lot of fun. And I think that was the main thing that people enjoyed about them, which is great. 
No, it is great. The audience, is it sort of, um, because you're into the slightly fantasy comedy stroke uh, crime now from the crime novels mm. that were more straightforward PI sort of stuff in the past, um, is it the same audience? I mean, what's the kind of crossover? Um, I think a lot of them have sort of come across. So there are people who, like last night, we were talking about Ben Aranovich, and I'd say about half the room had probably read Ben Aranovich books, which is not, if you're if you're into the, the sort of Stranger Times things, Ben Aranovich's audiences, yeah, yeah, the natural sure. people that would hit it. Mm. Um, so there's people like that who maybe just found the Stranger Times, but there's a lot of people who are fans of the Bunny books that have kind of come across, and um, you know, I had a few, a few people are luckily fans of both. So there's a, there's a nice mix there. Like I, I people, I had two sisters. One came from Warwick and one came from Northampton last night. And bless right. them, um, they had their phone out and said, "Oh, this is our sister in Australia. She's got up to say hello to you." <laughs> and I was doing, "Oh, hello!" And I was like talking to the three sisters, and one of them is in Australia. That's nice though, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. She's like it's five in the morning there, but they were saying like they're kind of were more fans of the buddy books where they were saying because their father was quite like they sort of associated with the character almost mm. so they were they were kind of saying about that which is you know that's that's lovely when you meet people and even kind of with when you write funny books the thing that we get quite a bit which is really sweet and it's just so um heartwarming is there's quite a few people who said that you know uh, i'm going through medical stuff so what i do is i save your books and when i'm in hospital i read your books because i find in a bleak place right. they make me sort of yeah which is i mean that's but it's honestly, a sort of antidote yeah yeah that's like the highest compliment you'll ever get because i like you know sure, i yeah. know i know i'm never winning awards and the reason i say that is because ben aranovich has not won awards and terry pratchett hardly ever won awards and frankly I'm not as good as those are doing what I do. So if they're not getting them, I'm kind of writing off the idea because what I do isn't that kind of thing, which is fine. Like I said, no, I but there's myself. still that snobbishness out there. I think it's yeah. better. I think people accept crime novels more now, you know, and they accept uh, genre novels more. But it's yeah. not it's not as it's not as good as it should be. It should be no, more. It's open not as good as I mean. Brutal. There's probably there's great crime writers that probably haven't won, but there are quite a few crime awards now. But even crime awards, they don't generally get won by funny books. They um, don't honestly because people or, or fantasy are, books. No. Yeah, and I think that certainly with funny stuff and all, it's it's people. I think probably think I don't know. Maybe it's a bit easy or something. Um, not not that they can I'm, actually no. do it, but, but yeah, I'm absolutely but it, certain it's the hardest thing to write. I, don't, I honestly don't know if it is that either, but, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Okay. but it's, it's, it's but a I, different. Well, no, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me go back on that. Yeah. Fair point. You are a comedian. Um, so you understand this and this is your natural voice. Mm. Writers who write crime novels, the comedy is the bit that, that they have to be lucky to get right, or they have to be very good to get right. It's the bit they find the hardest. That's probably yeah. what I should have said. Yeah, I think it's just one of these things. I mean, I, 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 I've been on a few writing podcasts and I've been asked, how do you write funny stuff? And I can give some technical things and stuff. But um, in all honesty, the really annoying answer is... Uh, it's got to be in you. It's just, yeah, it's just, mm. it's literally how I go from point. Like, I have a thing beside me where in the, the, the office I'm in right now, which is my pin board with all the different scenes up on it. Right. And it's plan out the whole novel because I do it at certain points with the planning. But at no point in that, is there ever, and I mean ever, a joke on that? Because I don't write right. jokes on those things. The funny bit happens because I need to get from A to B, and that's just how my mind works. Um, it's frankly, a lot of the time, in, more in life than in writing, if someone asks me to be serious, that's when we can have problems. Because <laughs> my, <laughs> my brain doesn't work in certain ways. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, just, I mean, one of my biggest things that I always point out is, and I feel, and it's, I've never heard somebody else say this, but it seems really obvious to me. And that is, 
Um, comedy is not a genre of book. Comedy is a style of writing. Right. Uh, by, w- by which I mean, it's, it's the way you tell the story. I it's see not what the type saying, of story. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. when people go wrong when they try and write comedies, they actually try and write comedy. Write comedy. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, they right. need to do is write a story mm. and then it can be funny. But first and foremost, because when it goes wrong is when you're trying, you have people in. I always, the example I always give is if you got two people going into a room and the only reason they're in that room is so you can make a joke about something in that room, get mm. them out of the room, literally nail the door closed. In fact, set the building on fire. You're in the right. wrong place. Start again. Because what you need them to be doing is they have to be, do, they need to be somewhere because they have to be there for the story. Like literally it's been pushed along in that direction and everything's going that direction. You have to, and I'm big into sort of that kind of narrative driving narrative there's nothing worse than comedy stuff going off just because and it's weird because i've I've heard people say well douglas adams went to wild different things said yeah but actually for all of the the mad wonderful stuff in douglas adams books fundamentally they are following a story yes um yes and people i think people really misunderstand that particularly in his books terry pratchett books are more obviously keeping to a narrative thing. But I firmly believe Douglas Adams is as well. Because for mm. all the magic and wonder, the weird ideas that both of those wonderful authors had, they were fundamentally telling you a story. Yeah, and there's a logic to that, isn't there? And you, it's kind of in the reader's mind, and you're following that all the way through. Yeah. You know you're going somewhere with it. That, that makes an awful lot of sense. Because um, it is something, as I said, I, I noticed with comedy, it's something writers get... I mean. When they try one-liners, they tend to do that pretty badly as well. You know, that's something that's very difficult to get a hold of. This is quite a, a sort of aside, but when you mentioned Ben Aranovich there, one of the things yeah. I was thinking was he's got these um, graphic novels. Yes, graphic yes, yes. Novels. I wondered, would that ever interest you for Stranger Times? Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be um, fantastic. I have thought about it and stuff. And again, because Mark Stay writes, um, I mean, technically, I don't know if he described fantasy novels. His actual novels are called The Witches of Woodville, and they're yeah, set right. in World War Two. And the whole idea is there's witches, but it's in like rural England. It's kind of a, a mm. sort of cozy paranormal thing, but it's witches fighting the Nazis and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. And he even, I think he's done a, a, a um, sort of mini graphic novel, for latest one of his books. Ben's done loads of them and him and he's, there's kind of a couple of people, a team really he has doing them. Um, and yeah, they're great. And I actually, because I must admit, I read the novels. I've read all the novels. And then earlier this year when I went on holidays, I kind of had, as a treat for myself, I got the box set of all the graphic novels, the, all the graphic things, yeah, and I was right. going through them all. And they were great, really mm. enjoyable. And they, they sort of add wonderfully to the world. It's kind of something like I'm already, because I, I have a podcast called The Stranger Times Podcast. Yes, right. And in it, there are short stories I've written in the Stranger Times world. Um, and what's brilliant is that basically I get to, paranormal stuff really suits short stories like fantasy stuff because you can just go with one idea making a short story right whereas i always think crime short stories are incredibly difficult to write overall because it doesn't lend itself because you need the investigation you need the thing it's you need a longer form for crime um so i i I love doing them but that's my way of so far of expanding the world and like ben's done with the graphic novels so and you know at some point in the future i'd love to do that kind of thing i mean there's all these things like ben has a a role playing game based on the rivers of London coming out, which is great because right. I'm 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 a fan of that. I'm I'm trying to get into doing stuff like that just myself as a hobby, 
uh, because I was a stand-up comedian for, as I said, 18 years. And your social mm. life literally comes with the job. You're away every weekend. Yeah, and then yeah, I had the weird so. thing you where... You a lot of spare time on your hands in that sense. In that yeah, case. yeah. You've got time, well, you've got time sort of during the week, but then you're mm. away when everyone else is kind of going out and having a normal life. Like, mm. um, my wife, God bless her, is a very independent woman because she, she had to be because uh, I was never around when all the normal stuff couples do. Yeah, right, right. I wasn't around for that. So the point was I gave up doing stand-up comedy in 2019. And then we had the weird thing where I was like, uh, where, are you, where are you going? I said, oh, I was going to go out and so can, I, can, I, can I come with you? Because I've nothing else to be doing. I'm sitting at home now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we... I, I, and my wife, bless her, literally said last, you know, you need to find a hobby because you need to leave this house at some point without without a dog with you, because that's all you're leaving the house for. So I've, I've, I've sort of always wanted to do kind of game and stuff, but never get the chance like board gaming and all that kind of thing. Mm. So I've started doing some of that. And the role playing game, I find like a fascinating idea. I really I've got hopefully going to start playing Ben's role playing game fairly soon. I've got a friend who's going to help me out with it because I've never done that stuff before. Right. Um, I actually tried to join too. I tried to join a role playing group near me. And the bloke was really keen. And I think, bless him, he might have Googled me and found out what I did for a living. I think he might have been a little bit freaked out then. <laughs> like, oh, no. Um, I mean, yeah, I would, have been, I would have enjoyed it. But I think he did, bless him, got a little bit scared. But um, but yeah, so I've got some mates and we're going to be doing that. So yeah, all those things, because it's just, it's one, I think particularly with paranormal stuff, the fact that you can build the world out is yes, wonderful yeah. and you can do all these different things with it. And because it's based in Manchester, and Manchester's such a big part of it, the great thing is I can literally go into Manchester and wander mm. around. And I've said this before this week when people are saying about why is Manchester good for the book? And frankly, I've said it on BBC. Luckily, they liked it. When I said on BBC Manchester, it was possibly a high risk comment. I said, why is Manchester good for paranormal stuff? I said, frankly, because you got more of our fair share of nutters. That's let's be honest about it. We do have more of them. There's the classic guy I, I described as one of the samples is like, we've all seen these guys, the guys that went to the Hacienda and never came home, where you literally see them in like different parts of Manchester, just standing <laughs> on corners, okay, just dancing away to themselves yeah, yeah. with no music on, just, you know, <laughs> still hearing something they heard 30 years ago. Um, So there is, and it's just, it's got, it's a wonderful place for that. And it's great that I can kind of build the Stranger Times world on top of that is, a, is yeah. a delightful thing to do. And it's just literally walking around Manchester then, I can just have fun looking at things and finding weird and wonderful things or making things out of what's already there, which is a delight. No, that makes a lot of sense. Just on the Stranger Times podcast, before we move on from that, yeah, sure. um, you're in the third series, I think, now, and you get different yeah. people to, to voice a story for you, Jason Manford. Yeah. I just want people to know, I'll put that in the program notes because I think okay. they should check it out if they get a chance. That'd oh, be thanks. Yeah, it's, it's been great because we, we actually started doing it literally in lockdown. It wasn't something that anyone ever asked, but publishers rang. But I, I basically, literally what happened was I'd written a few short stories. Mm. All of my friends were stand-up comedians who frankly couldn't work in lockdown. Yeah. Uh, right. So I started doing Zoom gigs, which were fairly soul-destroying overall. Um, so I, I said, oh, I've got these short stories. I've got all these great mates. Let's do stuff together. Let's get them doing all right. And the great thing is most of them have never narrated anything in that sort of thing. A lot yeah, of them right. have got a bit of acting, but not that sort of stuff. But the the energy and the enthusiasm they brought to it is fantastic, and it comes across. And some of them have done such a great job in them. It's been really, it's almost one of my favorite things about it is the short stories and the things because it's just a, it's a wonderful different thing you don't kind of get maybe other places. And I just think it really adds to the whole thing. It does. It does. It, it builds it up as a whole picture. And the thing is, you you only need twenty minutes. Yeah, you know, as a listener, you got twenty minutes and and you're away. Exactly. Yeah, it's a delight. I love I love doing that. Yeah. yeah. That thing you were saying about Manchester, I mean, you live there, so you know the place. It has got this character, though. And I think it is very, it's, it's, first of all, there's the music and you use the music in the titles. I mean, this yep. one is Love Will Tear Us Apart. The last one was This Charming Man. 
Mm-hmm. And for obvious reasons, the Stranger Times, the first one, you know, introduced the series. So I yeah, we, we we did have that discussion with the publishers. Like, can, can we call it the name of the series? Because it could make it a lot easier to sell it if the book's right. name is the same as series. So they were like, oh, okay. But it does have unofficially. Uh, it had the title "Grounds for Divorce," which is an elbow song. Was another Manchester band. Mm. Um, but yeah, we never, but well, we never seriously considered putting it on the cover. <laughs> I think the other thing about it is as well when you kind of. And I mean this in the best way, mess with a place, you know, when yeah. you, you, you you have to do that from a place of love for it, again, to work for the readers. And it's clear you love Manchester, you know, it's clear you've lived there a long time and you love the place. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 big for us. I mean, my, uh, you know, obviously I'm Irish. Uh, my wife is actually born in Kent right. um, and she we actually moved here uh, because she came she went back to university to do a master's. And right. uh, this is one of the options. And I Manchester has always had as well in music and stuff. Outside of London, most of the comedians that live in, in any particular place, if you did a sort of density map, mm. heavily around Manchester, um, you know, so I knew a lot of people here. So I was like, oh, yeah, and, and we've loved it. We absolutely love it here. My wife got a job bizarrely promoting Manchester around the world in what they call economic. Um, it's not like it's not trying to get tourists in. It's trying to get businesses to join. Here, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. All that sort of inward investment is the, is mm. the term they use. But she I always say. She's like one of those people who, you know, when they sign up for a religion late in life and they end up becoming more hardcore than any member of that religion is. That's my wife at Manchester. She's a Mancunian fundamentalist. Um, she's a lovely woman. But if somebody makes a crack about the weather, you can see that little look <laughs> in her face where she got she's about to quote them the statistics that were actually only like eight. In the it rains more that. in Madrid. What are you talking yeah, about? That's all these stuff. different things. She has all these numbers at the tip of her tongue and she is going to say them. Um, and it's, yeah, it's delightful. Um, so, yeah, we have a genuine love for the place. And, um, yeah, I think that comes across. And uh, luckily, nobody's ever uh, given out to me that I could think of. Um, yeah, we've been quite lucky no, in that regard. I, 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 got I think it is from... because the love is there. It, it's simple. It's straightforward. The best writers do that. They write yeah. about the place. They look at sometimes the underbelly. I mean, in this case, with, with a lot of humour. But, you know, you do that from a point of actually liking a place and really getting into it. Looking at the storytelling, you were a stand-up comedian. We talked about that. Um, and and there's, there's a couple of things you can bring in. Sometimes you bring in the one-liners. You certainly bring in that rapid-fire humor. And also, I think there's these kind of encapsulated stories because you have to tell stories on stage sometimes, but they're short, aren't they? You know, you bring that in. But then when you're writing these novels, it's an entirely different thing. You know, you've got... What is it you like about that? Because you're world building and you've got to put descriptions in. And and, and how difficult was it getting around your head around that, you know, that change? Because you seem well, to adapt it, very quickly to it, to be honest. I mean, I did. I'm lucky that I work with good editors and stuff. There's a guy called, even in my, my independent books, there's a guy called Scott Pack, who's actually a very good editor. And he's kind of a freelance thing. Like, we got him almost by accident. But like what, as I said before, one of the best things he did in my very first book, which was a, a man with one of those faces, um, and he was, we sort of sent it to him and, and we basically hired him. And remember, he always ra- he rang me and went, uh, he actually sent me a message and said, can I, can I talk to you? And I went, oh God, here we go. This is going to be like the same feedback we had. It's too like funny and too school. Irish. Yeah. yeah. It was like, well, we actually got, we got told it was too funny and too Irish by an agent, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, the temptation to send that guy an email now just to let him know how things worked out. Um, but we all this sort of feedback. And I thought, here we go. I'm going to have some other ridiculous thing. And he blessed and rang me and went, why have you not got a publishing deal? Because uh, because we, we tried to get one and no one was it. We said, do you, do you want one? Because uh, this he went like, I do a lot of this. This is good. Do you, do you want? Because I know a lot of people in publishing. And we were like, 
well, we've we've bought a cover now, so we're going to do our. <laughs> I was really, I look, I'm glad, very much glad we did. By the way, it worked out mm. great that way. I'm not anti-traditional publishing, but I think we couldn't have gone as far as fast as we could have done in the traditional model. Yeah, no, but, I think I understand. Yeah, yeah, but one of the best things Scott did, he, he said, um, in the final couple of scenes of a man, one of those faces, his great note was, you see, what, you see this joke here and this line here and this line here. They're all very funny lines. Yeah, you need to take them all out. I was like, because basically you've made us really care about these characters. Mm, right. uh, they are now in jeopardy. You need to let us be worried about them and you need let, to let them sort of fight their way out of this thing. Mm. And you need to be careful not to undercut yourself. And that was a great note because the, basically yeah, the, yeah. the confidence to know when to be funny and when not to be funny. And I think once I had that in my head, which definitely from that point on I had, I think it's an important thing where you can let things breathe like Angels in the Moonlight is the third book I wrote. And there's some very serious stuff in that. You, yeah, you yeah. with some very serious issues. Um, and it was, but I think I, I, one of the best notes I got was people, you know, you, you did that well. You dealt with the, with letting it breathe, letting the sad thing be sad. And there could be humor mm-hmm. around it and stuff. And, you know, there can be in, in all the man, you, you, you know, human existence, there is humor co- is there as a coping yeah. mechanism yeah. as well. And, and you like, get the absurdity of life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's all that. Like I can remember, you know, my dad passed away just over a year ago, and you know, there was some r- remarkably funny moments in there with various different things. My, you know, my dad said to us and stuff, and he asked me to do the eulogy, and I, I gave a eulogy that was, you know, oh, uh, what a great man he was. But mm. also, I told a funny story about him because that's what he wanted me to do. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, uh, you know, I I did what I, I you know, I did best because he enjoyed listening to me tell a funny story. So I I made sure I gave him a good one, and he's on his send off. I mean, you can't like in the darkest, there's an amazing story about a friend of mine and he was talking about his mother had just died in the hospital and it was him and his brother, and his father, and he was sitting there and the nurse was like, do you want a cup of tea? Because, you know, it's classic British thing, well, a cup of tea. Said, yeah, it was in Manchester, actually. And this this poor nurse brings the, the tray of tea and biscuits in and then she picks up the the um, the um tea and she goes, shall I be mum? But by meaning pour the tea <laughs> and bless her that the three of them burst out laughing. Yeah. And she went, oh, my God, and she's she was mortified. mortified. And she ran out of the room and like they literally ran after her and said, no, look, that was our mother had a great sense of humor. That was genuinely a funny moment and a bad yeah, day. Yeah. Don't feel <laughs> bad. It was honestly because, you know, that's how humans got keep going. That's that's the yes, thing. Yeah. So I think you can find humor in things. You just have to be do it the right way. And, you know, you know, and I, I hope I hope I've done that as through my books. Um but yeah, but there is that dark. I can't remember what the original question was, but I don't know if that was an answer to it. No, no, that is an answer to it. You know what? It reminded me of something. I remember reading a book by an historian. And so he's a proper historian. Now he's written an historical novel. Mm-hmm. And in the process of getting shot at, there's a guy considering a 17th century chandelier on the ceiling. And I thought, you know, no, it's not happening that way in real life. No idiot is looking at the chandelier while they're getting shot at. It doesn't happen. No, not so. unless the, the chandelier might fall on their heads if the bullet hits it in the right <laughs> unless, way. Um, unless he's shooting at the uh, the chain on the chandelier, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about Stranger Times and yeah. give people a little sense of that world that you actually built here before we talk about this particular cool. novel. Well, basically the idea for it, and uh, I had it like 15 years ago originally as a sitcom that never really went anywhere, but it was always in my right. head, was basically 
I've always fascinated by weird news. There's the 40 mm. times which people might know where they report weird news from around the world. It's now a magazine, it used to be a newspaper, mm-hmm. I think at some point. But it's all about, it's not about believing all this stuff, but it's the 14 times actually considers itself almost like a scientific thing where mm. it's interesting that people believe these things. And here's yeah. the report of this fascinating. And it's just entertaining. It's a lot of it's just fascinating. The weird things people do. I say people, mostly people in Florida. It's about where 50% <laughs> of all weird news comes from. It's genuinely, I, I actually appear on Jason Manfred's radio show, mate, mine, and do his, and we have a game every, when I'm in period, where I give him three stories, two which are weird. Uh, right. And one is made up. Uh, and the rule we came up with, if it's happened in Florida, it's probably true. It's true. <laughs> happens in Florida. You literally pick any weird selection of words, Google up the word Florida, you're going to find the news story. It'll probably involve an alligator and methamphetamines, but everything else will be in there too. Um, so yeah, all these things were, so that's the, the, I've always been fascinated by that. But the idea I had was I wanted to write in a sort of down, like a very much a sort of tabloid, lower end of the scale newspaper yeah. that reports weird wonderful news from around the world. And then the idea is they find out some of it isn't quite as fanciful as they thought. And they basically almost find out in the first book, almost by accident, that there is magic in the world. And this whole sort of other world exists just under the surface of the one that we live in. And from there on, it it develops that, goes through that. Perfect. And how about then the actual premise of of Love Will Tear Us Apart? Well, it's sort of, it's kind of like people are always scared because I think this, we had this idea people sort of went oh, it's a trilogy because I think they, I think it's because the book deal was originally for three books thankfully we've already signed another one for three more books yeah, by the way, I, but... I think people who know you will know you don't have much of a concept yeah, of a trilogy, and even when I, exactly even when I call something a trilogy the Dublin trilogy now has seven books and is going to hit ten by this time next year or the year after but yes so um this is kind of a culmination thing where basically Vincent Bancroft is the editor of The Stranger Times, who yep. is a delight to write in the sense that he's a truly nightmare of a person. He's yes. the bloke that says the horribly caustic things that we all might occasionally think, but would never say because we're generally trying to be good people. He is like sort of he was basically like the the dark prince of Fleet Street, if you like, a tabloid editor that was feared by everybody. And then he had a his wife died and he just couldn't accept it. And it was um despite the fact literally there was a body there was overwhelming evidence he just had this he was convinced there was always something wrong so he went looking for answers and he sort of basically had his downfall through that where he ended up frankly in the gutter which is how he ended up becoming the the uh editor of the stranger times and it's sort of so that's always in the first two books that's kind of a bit below the surface is always that thing with him with the thing and then in the third books he starts getting messages from the great beyond shall we say from his wife um so I mean, a weird thing, you know, it's obviously a funny book, but a kind of fundamental thing about it is um, it's basically about a man dealing badly with grief. Yeah, no, that's um, a fair point. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's a weird thing, you know, for a funny book and all this, always because it makes it sound very serious. But there is that element to it where, as I said, I was writing this about a year ago and I took two months off in the middle of writing this book because my father died. Um, mm. And, you know, look, my dad was in his 80s and it wasn't anything unexpected. He'd had a, you know, a very good life. It was just one of these things we all go through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that was the first time someone very close to me had died. Um, and I said this before, but it's like, a, I always feel like it's something the Japanese would have a word for where there's knowing something and then there's knowing something. It's like knowing it the second time. Like, I obviously knew right. what grief was when I started writing the book. Yeah. But a third of the way through. You know what? Through this thing. I'm just thinking it's, it's the one thing in life where you can't prepare people. You really I was fully can't. aware of grief. My mother died. You know, you you think you know what it is, and if somebody yeah. asked you, you can give them all sorts of explanations. When mm-hmm. it actually happens and how it affects you, something totally different. It's like, every, it's like everybody has to reinvent the wheel when they go through grief. 
Absolutely you start right. from zero, don't you? You know. Yeah, and, and you know, knowing about it, all these things. Like I, I remember a big revelation to me in it. I was thinking, I, I, I was thinking. I genuinely thought I'm quite ill. Like I'm very tired all the time. And then there was like a week where my dad had a sort of remarkable rebound, where we're like going, mm. "Oh, he's he's coming," you know, he's fine. And I was like, literally started writing again, and I was feeling great. And then I got a phone call. I remember I got the phone call from my mother telling me that he'd had a big setback. Um, and I remember just feeling really tired again. And I remember speaking to my wife, going, "I just realized this is this is not me. This is my the my this is my mind and my body not you know yeah not yeah. coping well with this." And it literally had a physical thing. And a couple of mm. friends had said to me, like, "You know, this is gonna be." like draining and it's only when you realize oh there is that draining thing because there is it's always in your head about this is happening and it's even when you're not conscious of it being there it's it's weighing on you yeah um and it's but it's that that was the thing so yeah it was like so the weird thing about it was i mean i wouldn't point to any particular point in the book but i I would say weirdly i probably had a much better understanding of the book i was writing after that happened because you know i was going i was dealing with grief same as everybody else has Mm. to and you and you sort of i guess it reflects in the book um, it does. I mean, other themes reflect in the book as well. For instance, there's a kind of there's a truth to uh, I mean, it goes into the fantasy world, but there's a truth to the idea that you don't necessarily know the people around you. Yeah. I mean, you know, which always... is true of life. And in the book, of course, it's very specific. Uh, if we take Hannah, for instance, her brother and her husband, you know. Very. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. No, the husband and stuff, all these things. She's basically she comes into that after being betrayed by her husband and, and realizing she's frankly married to a philanderer is the big thing. Mm. That's her starting point where she basically her whole life falls apart and she ends up getting a job in the stranger times. So, yeah, there's that. But there is that. I mean, there's all this. Well, that's but that's generally that's always, I, that's why uh, people like myself, Terry Pratchett fans like myself always get annoyed when people sort of try and dismiss them as fantasy or mm. almost children's books at a time where. The Terry Pratchett books um, have an amazing understanding of humanity. Yeah. And right. they talk about all these things. And he, and, he, and he does go through these things incredibly. And there's a great Neil Gaiman quote where people think, he said, like, people think Terry Pratchett was the happy little thing, but he's a very, he's an angry man. Mm. And when you actually understand his writing, there's a lot of anger or how the world is. But he uses fantasy to show up these things. Yeah, yeah. Like Terry Pratchett brilliantly shows the stupidity and futilism of, uh, a futility of racism yes, superbly absolutely. by using the fantasy context and these i mean there's things like that there's a, there's basically gun control there's mm. all these things if all these different things happen in terry pratchett books they're all dealt with in our world but they're in a fantasy context and the i think the fantasy done in its best and ben aranovich does this and loads of other people do this joe Abercrombie's another great fantasy mm. author different but equally great um but they will show brilliant things about the world we live in while using fantasy and that's the great power of it yeah no absolutely thinking about the characters talking about vincent in particular uh well no let's start <laughs> with vincent uh i want to talk about this sort of generally in terms of the characters but when we look at vincent himself irish incredibly caustic do the voices the voices because the voices are crucial in your books you know the characters <laughs> all have these very distinct voices and, and come from different backgrounds is he just naturally in your head? He's Irish and he is this kind of caustic character. How does that happen? Yeah, I I mean, he, he was Irish because in the sitcom he was Irish. Um, I guess weirdly, so that was always in my head. But then it sort of developed and you do kind of have a version of it. Uh, and we're very lucky that we've got a brilliant narrator. We're actually both sets of books. There's a guy called Morgan C. Jones does the bunny books and Brandon right, McDonald yeah. does the um, Stranger Times books. Mm. So what's kind of interesting, I did have a voice for Vincent in my head. Um I think it was, I remember, I think I gave the note to him that the Charlie Hawhey, the late Prime Minister of Ireland. Right. Um, <laughs> I had the idea that he sounded a bit like that. 
I think Brendan actually came back with the note and said that that voice is going to be very hard to consistently because it's quite low <laughs> and gravelly. I'm going to mess up my voice. Yeah. Too. And, and, over and sometimes it's very difficult to get what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. He's basically said over three days, that's going to be quite difficult. So he, said, <laughs> so he varied it a bit. And I actually heard his version of the, of the, of the Vincent accent. And of course, we're from similar areas. So I was like, oh, he's made him. Oh, that's interesting. And then I think, honestly, he kind of changed my perspective on Vincent a little bit when Oh, okay. So he's north side of Dublin like myself. You see, oh, right. Okay. And weirdly, I think that kind of fed in, and that's kind of how I hear him. Um, and like certainly with the the bunny books, because we were the same narrator to thirteen books now. Mm. Um, like that's he has now become the voice of Bunny in my head because he does such a good job that it's again yeah, changed right. what it was. So I think, I mean, audiobooks and stuff can be can be brilliant for that. For um, and I'm, I'm again talking to Ben Aronovich, and he is a fantastic narrator for his books as well. And he said, what he does, I said, like, when I start, like, when I'm going to start writing the next Strange Times book, I always read the last one first just to refresh my memory. Right. And he said, what he actually does is he listens to the audiobook of the last one because um, that sort of gets it into his head. And he said, and he actually basically sort of, it's weird because he was sitting in a Waterstones at the time, so he didn't put it in quite these words, but he was always like, basically that the audiobook's almost the best way to experience it in some ways. Um, but obviously you can't say that in a building where they brought you in to sell yeah, books. Right. Um, <laughs> it's always weird that, by the way, just on signing is a little side note. I've had people come up to me quite a lot in the last few days went, uh, I only ever read on Kindle or I only ever listen to audiobooks, but I'm a big fan of books because they were like coming up going, because like, <laughs> I'm not buying a hardback or blessing people are going, I'm, I'm not going to read the hardback, but I'm, I'm buying it just as a thing of myself. But it, I listen to Honest, the audio. Honest I am, Governor. Yeah, but they're they're basically like whispering to you because they know they're in a water stones. <laughs> they, they they're afraid they might get thrown out by the by the book police. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. But the voices are in my head certainly, and I mean, with any characters, I do kind of I sort of think up a feel for them. But how I kind of find out who somebody is is mm. I stick them in a room with someone and they start talking to each other uh, and they start right, sort okay. of you know having a bit of an argument or something right. like that, and you. I think because I think a lot in dialogue, which is mm. because I was saying about, you know, I, I don't spend ages on building and stuff. Probably the, the one thing I know, which is, the, again, editors have said, so it's like a, the note I get is like nobody ever really changes. I've never really had notes from anybody saying to change my dialogue or try and pep because right. generally dialogue is the greatest sort of strength of what how I write. I mean, kind mm. of, you know, it's kind of good to know your strengths and your weaknesses, but. It's because I, I wrote scripts for years. I was trying to get sitcoms made that never really happened. But, you know, and and I wrote a lot of scripts and I was I, like generally when I started trying to I had the idea for a book for a thriller, by the way, which I've never written. Um, But I, I started doing a master's in creative writing in MMU in Manchester. And uh, hmm. I've never I didn't finish it, but it, it got me where I needed to go because it got me thinking in the right thing, because I'd literally just been reading scripts and reading scripts. And I thought in dialogue and stuff. So then I found a happy way that I could take my skills with dialogue and put them into a book. And I found my rhythm by doing the first book. And that was one of the first things Scott Pack said to me. He said, he said, I'm not giving you any notes on dialogue because you know what you're doing there. So I'm going to just leave you alone, and let you do it. Um, and then because I, I guess I'm always had good at having the voices in my head. I mean, I occasionally dictate parts of the books now. I sort of vary for the practical reason. The only way I started, started doing it was uh, I was getting lower back problems. To be honest right. with you. And so occasionally I'll sit here with a headset on and argue with the dictation software that can't understand my accent, despite <laughs> how much money and how much time I spent on it. But it still ends up being quicker than than typing and certainly better yeah. for my back. So I will, like people always ask about, do you say stuff out loud? Is it? I, I do when I'm obviously dictating it, but outside of that, it's just in my head. Just dialogue is always kind of sparked in my head and I always just enjoy that and it just flows, um, which I'm just, I'm lucky, just dialogue, something I enjoy writing, I guess. 
Yeah, and of course, it's, it keeps a novel moving faster as well, doesn't it? And anything that blocks in description and that. All right, yeah. on that point then, or, or so, sort of related to it then, do you get diverted by the characters in the story? I'm kind of curious about whether they get those own lives. I'm, I'm thinking, for instance, in this novel, I wondered about Tristan and how he has a role in the novel. And then a character like Betty Elizabeth Cavendish the third. Yes. Was she, you know, did you sort of have her in mind and, wow, that's the story you had in mind for her and that's the way it went? Or did she kind of, you know, get herself into the story, sort of nudge in? And maybe I'll pick the wrong characters, but you you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that does happen a lot. I mean, there's uh, Betty certainly was kind of, I had a rough idea what I was doing. There was going to be somebody in there. But then she sort of came alive. And again, I think it's like in the second chapter, she pops up, literally pops up at the office without her. Yes, right. Yes. How the hell she got there. Um, and the first thing, she, she gets into a, a confrontation with Vincent Bancroft. Um, and the big thing is, is she frankly bests him. Um, and it's 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 almost great when you bring someone in like that and it's kind of a, a good way of bringing him in. And they go, oh, well, this woman's got some game. And she can, you know, she can not only handle this guy, but actually get get the best of him in this situation. Right. And I, But again, I kind of figured out who she was from the conversation. And, um, and then it just became, you know, her personality sort of bled through. But there's things like, Complete surprises with her, for to your point, was um, there's uh, Stella, which is the young teenage girl in it. Mm-hmm. And but her and Bet, she ends up spending quite a lot of time with Betty, and they have conversations and stuff in the book. And there's a, there's one of my favorite scenes is them in a graveyard and stuff. But while action's happening, they're having conversations, and these things are happening around them. And it became a quite sweet thing where that they, they developed this relationship for being an unlikely combination of people, right? Um, and that yeah, that can be great when that happens and it's these things so they just sort of mesh and you don't know what's going to happen but they do and it becomes something in there so that's great i mean there's and there's a there's a there's a guy called stanley roker that's a tabloid journalist that yes. appears in the books and literally the first in the first stranger times books he was there for one chapter he was supposed to get us from a to b he was supposed to help with a certain thing and that's why he was there and then again with the short story with the stranger times podcast i wrote a short story called i think the devil you know it's called and it's in the the podcast people can look mm-hmm. it up if they want but the idea when i started writing that was all about him almost getting his comeuppance something horrible happening to him and then i started weirdly feeling sorry for him when these things had happened and in the second book he came into it and it's almost what the most interest one of the most interesting things in the stranger times world for me is stanley was supposed to be the irredeemable character and yeah, now right. he is trying to redeem himself. Yes, and that yes. happened entirely by accident. I didn't plot that out. It just became, I kind of felt sorry for the guy almost, and I almost wanted him to try and better himself. And it's it's been very interesting trying to write a guy who was the worst of the worst and has maybe realized about himself that, wow, I did an awful lot of terrible things to people and this is why I'm getting this comeuppance. Um, and again, I don't know where that will go in the world. Like, honestly, the next Stranger Times book, he may not even be in it. But right. at some point in in future books, Stanley's you can you know, feel it's it's there and it's going to come back. Yeah, and there's definitely storylines involved with him, mm. particularly one that happens in the second book that's going to end up coming back to him at a right. later date, and he's going to be in moral quandaries. And I honestly don't know which way he's going to go. Is he going to redeem himself? Is he going to end up, you know, trying to take the easy option to sort his life out? Mm. But it's it's I guess it's interesting for me, and uh, yeah, the hope is if it's interesting me for me, it'll be interesting for the reader because genuinely yes. won't won't know where it's going yeah, to go no, I, I think you can get a sense of that as the reader um but we're talking about this idea about you know there has to be some story there and also you have to have something that kind of anchors the book and mm-hmm. I, I mean i'd be very disappointed if 
if Vincent suddenly didn't turn up in a book, you know, that would yeah. be a disaster. But the kind of glue for it all is Hannah. She's, yes. she's almost like she's our normal way into the story, you know? That is exactly that it, my friend. That, that is bang on. That is literally the explanation I was about to give you because in the right. first, literally, I mean, it's, it's sort of one of these things where I'm sure there's words written. Someone's probably written a book about this technique and all this, but basically the logic in my head was if you're coming into a strange world as the reader, you need to be introduced to it. Right. Um, and basically Hannah is exactly as you said, she has her introduction. She doesn't know where she doesn't know how a newspaper works. Never mind all this stuff about, you know, all the weird stuff. So she is the eyes of the reader into this world. And by the end of the first book, she's obviously learned a lot through that. So has the reader. And again, it's like even again, now I think of it, I've never literally thought of this before. But in the Douglas, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that's exactly what you have. You have a very ordinary man. Yes. Um, yeah. That, uh, what's the name of the character? Arthur oh, Dent. Arthur Dent. Thank you. I'm such a bad head for names. Arthur Dent is an ordinary bloke who has no idea about any of this stuff. And then it turns out his best mate is an alien. And yeah. then he's literally his planet. But we see the world through him. He brings us through. So yeah, it literally never occurred to that. But it's exactly the same principle that Hannah brings us through. Yeah. Yeah, but she is, and then and then just she after that she just becomes the glue because she is the kind of person who sort of holds that family together uh, fundamentally. That sort of family of the the Stranger Time staff. Yeah, and I mean I don't want to tell people details, but you mentioned Vincent's story, and of course one of the other stories that runs through this book is Hannah's story and her story with her husband yeah. and this Pinter institution. I'll say that much, but we'll yeah. leave it there. Um. You do like strong women characters, though, because we've got Hannah and we've got Grace and, and Mrs. Harmforth. You know, there's, there's a lot of really interesting female characters in your books. Yeah, well, in fact, it, it, I'll be honest, I, it is a weird thing because I had someone say that to me quite actually before I'd even written books where a female TV executive said, I do like the fact you, that you write women well. And I know she was being she was being nice, but to be honest, I was sort of going, that's literally over half the planet. If you can't yeah. write women, you shouldn't be writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and people sort of say, look, and it's 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 not like I'm trying to create this. I just know a lot of strong women. My my sister is an incredible woman. As one example, she literally was a um she was like a you know she she worked her way up as a vice president of a bank. Then she right. uh, gave that up, went home and had kids. Then she went back to university, got herself a degree, a master's, a doctorate in an economics ridiculously fast. She's you know she's an incredible. You just look at her and go, wow, I've done all that while raising three kids, doing all this stuff, just amazingly strong. My mm. own wife is a fantastic woman. She comes, her mother is actually called Dorothy. She is, um, I have to stop basing characters on her, but uh, <laughs> Grace Grace is for, for a, little, a little bit of, okay. um, a little bit of that. And I've also used her in various places in the body book, books and stuff. And, you know, and look, I look, I, I said, when I was a stand-up comedian, um, I supported Sarah Millican on tour. I'm still, you know, she's one of my best friends and stuff. And mm. again, very, and it's always, it's one of those things people, given any way, people always say about what's, what's Sarah like. Said, she's exactly what you, like you see on stage. That is very much naturally what she is. But mm. at the same time, she also is, she's a very strong woman. She's, the career she's had is largely because she knows what she wants. She yeah. knows what she doesn't want. And she's gone and got it for herself. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, you know, and she's, well, being absolutely a delight to be around and a thing, but she's, you know, she's nobody's fool. And it's, you know, it's, so that's the people I know. So I guess that's reflected in the, in the way I write people. But, um, yeah, so it's it's one of these things people sort of say, but I think, well, yeah, of course it is. Otherwise, what what are you doing if you can't if you haven't got those characters? Yeah, no, you think you think it makes sense. It does make perfect sense. But I, I know that there's a kind of people. Some people are not quite so clear about it. Let's say, on mm. the side of um, this, there's a bit of sinister in your novel. There has to be, you know, we beasties and a bit of supernatural, but it's not horror. Is that because that's not your thing? Yeah, I, I've I've. Uh... 
<laughs> yeah, because that's come up a couple of times because I occasionally find my book under horror and I have to go, no, that's not it. Really? I, I, <laughs> I, I had one guy in a bookshop trying to explain to me, no, it's where it's supposed to be. I went, it isn't, mate. I wrote the book. <laughs> it's like, I remember that when the guy was still trying to argue, it was like, oh, the other way we were having an argument with somebody, you go, well, discussion, shall we say. You're like, you say something that's so obviously, evidently true to you that it isn't horror. I wrote the book. I know it's not horror. And if somebody tries to argue the point with you, you've got nowhere else to go because you're like, it's like literally if someone says it's it's dark outside and not sunny and you go, well, there's the sun. And they go, yeah, ah, yeah. but <laughs> you really have nothing else to say. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's it, this there's sort of a, there's, there's, there's some darker scenes and things that happen, particularly more of the Stranger Times books. But yeah, I don't like and it's it's occasionally even been referred to in press reviews that have been very nice. They've used the word horror in it. And mm. I've actually like gone to my publishers like, could we take could we take the word horror? Because I don't like I don't. I've actually went for the, I think it was the first time, uh, I've actually been to horror films twice in the cinema. Once was a date that was a disaster a long, long time ago. Second <laughs> second time was last week, because as as I previously mentioned, Mark Stay is a friend of mine, uh, and he wrote a book called uh, Unwelcome. Oh, sorry, a, a, a film called Unwelcome, which that came out last week, which was a, right. a horror film set in Ireland. I'd actually read the script for him and the director who wrote it with him uh, as a, basically his consultant to, to just tell him, I say a consultant, just to tell him if there was anything in it that was wrong about being an art. So I'm the reason there's no quiz machine in the pub. Uh, right. <laughs> but, but that's That was my big contribution to things. But I went to see it with my friend Gary. Gary's a big horror fan. I hate horror films to the point where Gary and my wife used to go after horror films and me and his wife used to go after oh, right. America thing because <laughs> neither of us like horror movies. So, um, yeah, I don't, my point is I don't write horror. There are some, there, there will be an occasional, because, you know, there's vampires and there's beasts and stuff. So there's a bit of that, but ultimately, like in the books, without giving too much away, the actual overall villains um, start life as humans. And, yes, you know, right. they are basically they're humans who discover the yeah. secret of eternal life. And the secret of eternal life yeah. is, um, and it, frankly, you it know, gives them a kind of, of license, doesn't it? And when they then they can take that license and then they can behave badly because they know that the consequences aren't quite the same as the rest of us who work yeah. in an office and sit down and do normal jobs. Exactly. Yeah. I thought the, uh, fundamentally the idea of I think it's fascinating because the idea of eternal life is, is great for all, you know, if you can live forever as you are and all that sort of thing. But like it's it, the whole idea is of them is um, the founders they're called is they become immortal. And then they also I would say immortal. They can die, but they will live forever naturally, but they yeah. can be killed yeah. is the example. Yes. And then but they also know that if they ever die, they will be in eternal torment. Like they get a flash when they become um, founders of like literally a couple of seconds of what everything will be like. And it's the most horrible thing ever. So mm. they then will defend that and they will do terrible things because they, they do not ever want to die. And it's almost, that's the whole structure of the world. Um, and I, I just, it's one of those things that kind of happened over time, but I really like the idea. I think it's a, it's a great, because the, the urge to stay alive is in all of us and it you know yeah, has to be, absolutely. but this is it taken to its terrible conclusion where mm. how much would you do to stay alive? Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Can I just talk about one scene, that first scene? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking about the way the story's put together. We've got Tristram and, and Vincent and the blunderbuss. Yes. And curiously, he doesn't know it's a blunderbuss. So we get these descriptions of trombone and um, uh, what was it? An irritated dragon. Yes. You know? So my point about it is this. You've established fantasy and you've established humor and kind of got people on the road for what this book is about in that paragraph. So if they'd never read the first two books in the series, they'd still know exactly where they were going. Hopefully so. Yeah. Does that come together naturally for you or do you, do you have to think about that? 
No, I, I mean, that's mainly it. When I was writing that scene, the whole thing was I need to set up. I was literally setting up because basically he's looking for a new assistant editor because Hannah, who's the assistant editor, has has resigned. Yes, right. So what all I was doing is we need to show Vincent setting up that idea that we get across that Hannah's resigned while just reminding or introducing people to Vincent Bancroft, who's like a core of the story. So and him, frankly, threatening to shoot somebody in a job yes. interview <laughs> is a good way of starting. Um, and it's just so I guess it's just where it came from. It just seems a natural choice of yeah. scene. But I wasn't trying to establish the genre and stuff, but obviously it's great that it does, I guess. But I, I'd even thought of that way, if I'm honest with you. But yeah, it's it's. You're, I was more worried about, frankly, establishing the character because yes, right. I think the belief is m- m- fundamentally with any kind of humor, especially you have to always respect character, and you have to always clearly define characters because, f- like the was another thing with humor is like some of the, fu- the the most you will have ever laughed in your life will have been when one of your best friends said something, right? Yeah. Literally, right. if you think back in your life, you can think of moments where you just couldn't breathe for laughing because one of your yeah. best friends said And the reason that was so funny and you can't describe it to someone else to do it any justice was because it was that person in that voice saying yeah, it in right. that way. Mm. That's why a truly funny line isn't independent of who says it. It is core to who that person yes, is. Right. Um, so I guess there fundamentally that's me getting back together with Vincent and introducing him to the audience. And it's me, frankly, just enjoying writing Vincent being Vincent. Um, so I guess that's where the whole thing just moves from there. Yeah. yeah. No, there's something else that comes from that as well, which is this kind of illogic and logic in life, that absurdity in human life that just comes across. Yeah, the absurdity. And there's also, I think the the fact there is, uh, it also maybe establishes Vincent because the whole idea with Vincent is he's very smart. He has, he, you know, right. for all of his flaws, and there are obviously a multitude, he's he's a smart guy and he has an instinct that he trusts his instincts, mm. even when, as, as happens in the book, his instincts, frankly, start failing him because he becomes overwrought by other concerns with, you know, the grief and all that having an effect on him. But I think it was just important that, He's a strong character, um, and for all of his flaws, he has these instincts. And there are moments of it where it comes, it comes out in flashes and stuff. And it does. Yeah. It's one of the things that makes him a compelling character that he will. Because um, there's nothing worse than a book that the reader being ahead of the story is generally bad. You know that way where you figured out right. something that the detective hasn't figured out for a long. You'd you'd much rather yeah. be confused than bored. That's always that famous quote about. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, you get annoyed a very quickly that way. Yeah, because if they miss something, so you want characters that are ahead of you. And Vincent Bancroft has that thing where he has an instinct about people, mm. because tabloid journal editors, for all their uh, obvious flaws and, and shall we say moral yeah. Uh, yeah. complexities, <laughs> um, they obviously have they they know what people want, even if people don't want to admit it, yeah. because there's a reason those newspapers sell so well. Um, so I think that instinct is still there in him and it's almost core to his being. So it's important to have it in there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And it's just a side note again on it, but I love the thing with the Chekhov and and the oh. idea of the gun, because obviously you've got that thing about, you know, if it's in the first act, then it has to be fired in the third act or by the third act, but yeah. you just played with it. You just, no, I do that genuinely as an author, I do love that. What I what I kind of run, there's this thing about tropes and it's always about yes. field tropes. And I always find that quite a tedious idea. But I think what's a lot of fun is I think, especially when like I'm, I, I'm writing books that people know all these things. Like 
for example, vampires, I find there's nothing worse in a book than someone's going, well, there appears to be teeth marks. What could have caused this? <laughs> where we've lived in a world where vampire films and vampires are so <laughs> yeah, fundamental in our culture. Whereas in this Charming Man, the whole idea was they like they every film and every book exists. So when things start happening, they're going, this is like the books and the films. What well, this can't be yeah, real. Yeah. And it's it's and it's literally in the is Charming Man, the second book. The whole idea is that that vampires don't exist in real life. They are an allegory for the founders who I explained previously. Mm-hmm. And then the idea that kind of hit me was what happens if like vampires as they don't exist started turning up. Yes. Um, and that in itself just ended up being so it ended up being metas, probably the word someone who's done film studies would tell would use right mm-hmm. now, but I don't know, I don't know 100 percent sure I'm using it right. But yeah, um, so that that ended up I, I like taking things like that. And I thought with the gun calling again, check off, I thought it was funny because it's literally playing with the idea. Um yes. and I, I've had characters before like talk about story things and um literally mention how stories work without kind of breaking the fourth wall. But like in the bunny books, we do that a lot where uh, like in the very first book, A Mountain with Those Faces, there is a yeah, Jimmy Stewart is a, a policeman that's five days from retirement. Yes, right. And the whole point is he's literally making jokes about the film. He gets annoyed when the young guy they're lumbering him with isn't getting his quotes from Lethal Weapon. Yeah, right. Um, because that's the kind of stuff. Because I find that stuff hilarious. I I, I much find it much more interesting that we all we exist in a world where everything has happened previously in all these films and stuff, mm. and you can almost play with those things. I think they're a delight. They're a lot of fun to do. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun in the book, and and you're right as a reader anyway. In general, it's nice to come across those kind of things. Yeah, oh. it's just you know, I think never underestimate the reader is always a good rule. You just assume they. Yeah, you know, readers readers are smart. You know, yeah. I think as a critic, like I take books apart in a sense when I'm analyzing them and thinking about them. But readers are doing that in their own minds anyway. So, for instance, if you get to the end and it's not logical, they're going to know and they're going to hate your book for the fact yeah. that you misled them. You know, so the it's, readers are smart. Yeah, it's like the Game of Thrones moment where not to spoil anything, it's been out years, but this is in the first right, series. Yeah. But there is a very there's a, a big character in the end of the Game of Thrones season one that you think, well, he's not going to die. And then he suddenly dies. Yes. But that was the <gasps> because we we're all used to TV things with a big actor, frankly, in yes. it. They knew what they were you doing. You know, he's a big he's actor. For life. Think, well, yeah. he's, he's, yeah, he's like the guy in the posters. He's going to be there in mm. season two. They kill him at the end of season one, and people go, oh my God, anything can happen here. We genuinely don't know. Yeah. yeah. Whereas where TV shows go wrong is they start great, but then they don't want to get rid of characters people like, and they end up having to find reasons of bringing them back. And there's been quite a few examples. There was one Heroes years ago, it was famously very popular for a while, and then went completely off the rails because they wouldn't kill anybody. Yes, um, right. they kept finding reasons to bring him back, and then the whole world collapsed on itself. So, Game of Thrones—that's the biggest effect I think Game of Thrones had on TV. Are, but people probably don't, probably don't see it this way. But all of a sudden, those changing the stakes, things killing people off by surprise, yes. people being shocked because we all understand story. So when something goes against what you expect like that, it's a big. It, it, it worked because it went entirely against yeah, genre it, expectations. I guess. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. How far can you go then? I mean, is that, is it down to how far you want to go with the Stranger Time series? I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, like I'm I'm starting the fourth book and I've done all these short stories in the three other books. And I, I, it feels honestly, it feels like I'm barely getting started. If I'm not right. honest, like there's so I have so many story ideas. I've written out with detailed two page uh, summary of a book that's not even going to be in the next three. Um, right. But I know like that, that there's something that like there's bits I've set up in various points. There's something that happens at the end of book three, uh, given no spoilers away. It's literally at the very end of book three. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole point. What's weirdly happened with the Stranger Times books, and this is honestly by accident, um, 
is there's been an epilogue, I think, in all three of them, or something that happens certainly at the very end of the book. Yeah, right. And it was like the story gets concluded, but then something happens. You go, oh, wow, yes, what the hell yes, is yes, this? right. I'm with you now. Yeah. And it's happened like three times. And it's it happened by accident. The very on the very first book, That's the one that ended up being quite fundamental to the rest of the stories. Mm. Um, I honestly didn't know about I wasn't sure about it for ages. And I put it in and I said to people, even like my, my wife reads everything first. I was like, what do you think? And then the editor, what do you think? And I was like, do I want to keep it in? And eventually I did. It ended up becoming core to the next couple of books. And um, yeah, but it's it's. I don't know if I'll do it in every book, but that's something that's happened. And honestly, like the idea, of the real true resolution of stuff that happens at the end of the third book, is going to happen a long way down the line. I do know where where it is because it's it's odd. Like I won't know. I don't know everything's going to happen in the fourth book by any means. I've got right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this this thing that'll happen way down the line, I do know how we're going to get to that point. Right. I just that's don't know right. all the things in between. Um, because it was an important thing to have and it's look i'm excited to do that i'm excited to do beyond that and there's loads of things just sort of filling out in the world around me and excited to get down and sit in front of the keyboard i was actually after a bit of ways we said all week doing events and stuff mm. this today is the first day i sat down in my office all week and i just remember thinking oh this is this is like this feels like the, the happiest thing to be just sitting in this chair i just started reading through some stuff i'd written and going oh this is what we love doing where we go um so and i'm excited to do that for many more years with these books oh great oh, that's really great to hear and actually, I think there's one other aspect of it. Is it true that um, Stranger Times is in development with a production company? Yeah, I mean, frankly, all the the, the buddy books are in development as well, and Stranger oh, Times right. is. So it's yeah, I mean, but t- TV is is uh, is one of these things where uh, you never know what's going to happen. No, and um, it can take forever, even if it does happen. Yeah, it can take forever. It can look mm. like it's going somewhere and it doesn't, and stuff. I mean, all you can do is basically get involved with good people and see what happens. And the people with the Stranger Times are a company called Playground who. Uh, I've done loads of different things, like from everything from Little Women to they, they've bizarrely produced the Harry Potter play. Um, so they've right. done really good work. They've done very, loads of different uh, series and stuff like that. They're now developing it with NBC, Peacock in America. Um, and there's a, there's a very good writer working on that. And then like the the buddy books are with a company called Avalon, who make loads of different things in, in, in Britain. But yeah, there's a guy yeah, called Chris do. Addison, who's a... I say not for he he hasn't retired from comedy. I should not say former comedian, but he's mainly known now as a writer director rather than um, an actual actor. Yeah, he, he's acted as well. Actually, mm. he was in the thing yes, yeah. um, as people would know him from. But he's now producing, directing stuff quite a lot and um, doing brilliant work. He's he worked on Veep and he's doing um, Breeders over here, uh, mm. which is going great for Sky. He basically good thing with I mean now. There are, I can't say yet because I haven't been officially announced, but there's a very good writer coming on board who, um, yeah, okay, fair enough. A yeah. serious big gun who, uh, thrilled to bits to be have involved, shall we say. But again, you never know what will happen with that. But, um, I think it's one of these things where if your own sanity is as an, as an author, I just worry about, uh, writing the books and then yeah, let, let that somebody else go off on its own. And when someone needs to talk to me, they'll come talk to me. But until then, I've got plenty to be doing and I'm happy to be doing it. It, it makes sense. I, I worry about debut authors sometimes, you know, authors who are fresh to it and they come along and say, oh, you know, my book's been optioned. I think, sorry, but that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. anything. You know, we, we could Lo- be... loads of people's have been optioned. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You do realize that after a while, like even some very big authors and they've never come like Ben Aranovich is a classic example for that. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. books. There was a lot of excitement because Simon Pegg's company had them for years, but that never really happened. And now the people who made the wonderful Slow Horses TV show, Mick Heron's brilliant books. Yes, yeah. Uh, they have signed on uh, the co-production thing with Ben's own company now. 
Um, so now, obviously, there's a lot of excitement in that fan base again about going like, they, like they've done the job. They've actually made something in London, which is the whole big thing you need to do mm. in Rivers of London. Yes, of course. So yeah. I know that fan base, and I'm, I consider myself part of it's very excited about that. But again, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, yeah. fingers crossed. But if, they, you know, I hope it does happen because there's fabulous books and it'd be a great series. Yeah, it would. It would. And I think you're right, though. It has to be in London, though. It has to be, you know, it has to have that real connection. Not really somewhere does. in Czechoslovakia where they couldn't. Yeah, of all books, it, that, it, that it really has to be there. Mm-hmm. It's like in the same way, like my Dublin books, you couldn't go re- fill them no, somewhere agree. else. Yeah. And yeah. Part, part of the thing that's good is we've got interest in Ireland. It looks like if it does ever happen, it will be filmed there and all that, which is that's great good, for yeah. many reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, given that you've got so much going on, what is actually next for you? Oh, God. Um, I th- I'm literally. Uh... <laughs> Pretty much tomorrow, starting writing the next Stranger Times book. Um, and then I've got this part of my, as well as the Dublin trilogy, there's McGarry Stateside, which is a three book series where yes. Bunny goes to America for very good reasons. I won't spoil it for anyone, but he's over there on, on quite the mission. Um, because of, frankly, pandemic and stuff, the book I was going to write that was the next one in that series got delayed because it couldn't go over to America because I don't do, like, I'm not one of these people who does an incredible amount of research, but it was something that I really needed to research. Um, but that's going to be there's definitely going to be another McGarry Stateside book this year I'm very excited to get back to that it's it's been too long and then I mean honestly as I said I've got the Stranger Times books be coming out for this will be one a year I hope at least for the next few years and then um, I have the ideas for the next I explained to my wife like I woke up middle of the night and explained to my wife the idea for a bunny book that I'm going to be writing that I was really excited about I just came up with this idea it's one of my favourite ever ideas I've ever had at this stage Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, you're you're writing like that book and that book and that book. You've already said you're doing it. I said, yeah, yeah, this is the book I'm writing in four to five books time. But, um, you know, I still hopefully I'm still excited about the idea now. Hopefully I will be when I come to it. But yeah, so it's just just keep writing, keep enjoying what I'm doing. That's yeah, it sounds great. One last question then. Um, How about a recommendation? Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sprinkle a few in because. Mark's books, the the Witches of Woodville, um, World War Two, which is uh, kind of it's a wonderful, cozy, warm series with paranormal. It's great, big fan of them. Um, oh, the Mick Heron books are fantastic. As I've yeah, mentioned, Benaranovich, yeah. obviously, as I've mentioned, uh, Sally Green books. The um, they're called Half Bad, I think. That was they made it into an Netflix series called The Bastard Son of the Devil Himself. Uh, but right. I started reading them recently. Excellent again. Um. But yeah, there's there's quite a few different things. I'm sure I'll think of about a dozen more. But I think those are that's probably the ones I will. No, that's I something to be with. going on with anyway. And I'll I'll make sure again that the the uh, information is on the program notes so people can take a look if they want to. Great. I I don't know about you, but I've had a brilliant time. So thank you. Oh, very I've much. loved it, mate. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight. Well, I don't know about you, the listener, but I was pretty breathless after that. Um, anyway, fantastic to hear Queeve McDonald talk about his Stranger Times books and Love Will Tear Us Apart. And I thank him very much for that. If you're interested in a copy of Love Will Tear Us Apart or any of Queeve's books, and you can check out the uh, New York and the uh, Dublin series as well, then you can get them from all good bookshops. And you can get a copy of Global Terrace Apart from us by clicking the link on the program notes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe with your favourite podcast provider. That's very useful to us. I'll be back with another interview very shortly. Uh, John Sales is still coming up and we've got uh, Julia Bartz and a few others in the pipeline. 
um, and a couple of specials actually from Faber and from Arenda. So there's plenty to look forward to. Anyway, for now, thank you very much for listening and bye. Bye.